This is Paul Siegel. You're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs is broadcast live at 1 p.m. Eastern on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms and youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and on this episode of Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about Pool of Radiance, that advanced D&D game that is uh, brand new on Steam as of March of this year. Uh, but of course, that's the SSI game that started the hit Gold Box series through the 1990s. Um, and hopefully I'm going to be getting some hints about that today because, of course, I'm playing Pool of Radiance on the late Thursday night Elder Game stream. And um, having, uh, I'm having a blast with it, playing through for the very first time with fresh eyes. And I'm looking forward to getting uh, uh, some inside skinny from Paul and our viewers so that I am not running around like a chicken with my head cut off on Thursday night this week again. <laughs> yeah, I'll recommend uh, any, anyone in the chat who, uh, who wants to chime in. We're going we're gonna to try hard here to not spoil any of the content for Dan. But help them out where cases where the uh, interface is maybe a little clunky and uh, not not intuitive, uh, which it certainly is because it's an old game. Uh, I'm going to put up the image here of the box, which I am amused to see has the label on it. That this is the version for the Commodore 64. Uh, so Dan, you're you're just playing it for the first time, right? This is you've mm -hmm. never never played Absolutely. this game before, and you're that's amazing. Never. So my history of the game is a little bit longer. Um, because I remember, um, uh, actually, let's see, I think I have an image for this. Uh, uh, I remember seeing this advertisement in the back of a dragon magazine, I believe, or in, in the pages of a dragon magazine somewhere, or at least one like it, uh, for this game. That's how I first learned about it in 1988 when it came out. Um, I remember going to electronics boutique and seeing it there for the astronomical price of $55, which was how much video games went really? for in 1988. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I distinctly remember seeding my allowance so that I could go out and buy it. It's the first ever video game I ever bought. Uh, I bought it for a um, an IBM compatible. Uh, my dad had an, uh, oh, what did he have? Like an 8086 or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. So I played it on that. And uh, my stepdad had a Tandy 16 that I played it on. Um, the, 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 the first machine that I played it on, I think had a whopping 16 colors perhaps, whereas the Tandy yeah. was, uh, monochrome and shades of green, but I think I've also played it on Commodore, wow. friend, friend played it on Commodore. I mean, this game has been ported. This game has been ported around a bit. Um, I don't, I don't know if you realize this, Dan, but there was a, a port made for the, uh, Nintendo entertainment system. You could play this game on Nintendo. Really? Really? Yeah. No, I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yep. Huh. So this game has seen the round. Seeing, now it's on Steam. Huh, I, guess, I guess Sega. I guess I'm seeing there was a Sega Genesis version. Yeah, not surprised by that. Not so, I wasn't aware wow. of that one, but I, I knew it was a, a, an NES version. Um, wow. Lately, I have, uh, I don't know when I bought this, um, probably just as um, DOS games were dying, I bought the uh, Forgotten Realms Archive. 
which is a set of, of DVDs, which is just raw copies of the binaries to DVD pretty yeah. much. But uh, it's got all, like the whole gold box is on here. Pool of Radiance, Curse of the Azure Bonds, Secret of Silver Blades, Pools of Darkness, Hillsfar, all of the either Holders games, Dungeon Hack, all kinds of Men's Baranzan, all sorts of stuff. We like Dungeon stuff. Hack. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Let me just... So as we're as we're starting here, I'll just I'll just throw up William's recollection of how, how we should really start. If we're going to start Pool of Radiance, how it should be started? Yeah, hmm. this hmm. load quote star comma eight comma one command. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So these these days, I'm playing it from those literally from those CDs. Uh, I, I, I ripped it off the CD and uh, installed DOSBox to run, run a DOS emulator, and that's that's how I play it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to be clear, so and, I well, on uh, Thursday nights, I, I am playing it on Steam. So it came, you know, so uh, Pool of Radiance. I think maybe ten years ago had like a revisit on from from GOG G O G right. Um, mm -hmm. and GOG.com, and then um, uh, it was just released uh, about two or three months back now, I guess three months back on Steam. And to be clear, it's part of the Forgotten Realms Collection 2 is where it is. So if anybody was interested in revisiting it, that's where it is. Let me ask this, Paul, because, um, yeah. you know, I've played two sessions for a total of about four hours of playtime. And I think I'm about halfway through the slums, which is the very first place yep. with monsters. Um, and so I'm wondering if you can tell me like how much total playtime I can look forward to. And then like on that disc, how much total playtime would that would there be on the entire gold box series put together? Because I'm maybe that's what oh, I'm queuing up to do on wow. Thursday nights now. Wow, wow. Uh, quite a bit, quite a bit. Now, this this game pretty faithfully implements first edition AD&D. Um, it's not complete by any means. I think you noticed on your stream that it's only got, like, the core races and classes. It doesn't have any subclasses like Paladin and Druid and such. I do think that later later games in the Goldbox series does, do, does start to introduce some of that stuff. Um, obviously, not every spell is implemented. Um, but anyway... Um, I will say this from, from my experience developing video games and, and actually, well, when I flip this, I'll pose this as a question to you, Dan, <laughs> which level in your average video game gets the most attention and most development time from Great. a, from a, yeah. <laughs> so I will point out that as, as Paul and I, yeah. in the couple of minutes before we came online, we fell into this pipe, but basically we started talking about our video game experience and how we would have approached this and all that kind of stuff and what language it's in. So my, and actually there's a very, there's a very uh, critical um, uh, article from Game Developer Magazine that I always remember about this is the one that gets the most attention is usually the first level, the introduction, maybe the tutorial, the first one, and usually the very last conclusion gets almost no attention. And um, the, the point of <clears throat> that uh, article that was in the very last issue of Game Developer is is developers. No one's paying any attention to the end of the game, so you can do whatever you want there. Go ahead, <laughs> go ahead and make go ahead and make whatever you want happen at the end because that's your your field for creative endeavors. But it's the start that everybody's going to be looking at very carefully. Is that is that what you expected for that, Paul? Yep. 
Yep, exactly. And I will say that the slums probably um, has the most varied content in in the okay. game. That that you will go through other blocks faster than you would go through the slums. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, and, and it makes sense, right? Because like the first level of your game is the thing that's going to get played the most, right? Yep. <laughs> Everyone's going to yep. play the very first bit. Not everyone's going to make yep. it all the way to the end. Um, yeah. And to be clear, what yeah, what I've been encountering so far is like your it's basically your standard first level. So of course, uh, the thing if if people if our viewers don't know, the thing is set in the Forgotten Realms in a city that's being rebuilt from a ruin called Flan. And so you start off on a on a very small block that has civilized stuff and temples for healing and shops and stuff. And the very next thing you walk into is basically a first level dungeon of slums you're trying to reclaim. And I'm fighting all the standard first level monsters of goblins and orcs and kobolds. And basically that's what I've seen so far. Yeah. I I, I expect, given that you're what, you're two, two sessions in? Uh, mm -hmm. I, I expect you'll get a good dozen out of the game at least. Okay. Interesting. Um, Interesting. And I don't know how much for the whole Goldbox series. Jeez, I, I never made it through all that. I will say Pool of Radiance, I played to the end multiple times. Pool of Radiance stands out to me as like the best of the of the series. Tell me why tell tell me what uh, what about it made it replayable? What what dragged you back yeah. into it multiple times? Well, there's a, there's a couple of things. One is that I think it focuses the mechanics into a narrower band, right? Like I said, it's missing a lot of the more you know, esoteric character classes and et cetera. It starts you at first level. Um, and so it's got, um, I guess it's got some of the most fun parts of the leveling arc of a, of a D and D party, I think. Um, and, uh, you know, the design of the content, like they were, it's more, I want I almost want to say simplistic. Maybe that's not the right word, but, um, I feel like later on in the series, right, they're trying to make each game more and more impressive than the last. And so they're going out of their way to uh, design content that is interesting and unusual. Whereas Pool of Radiance, I feel like, like most of the encounters you're encountering in the slums are probably wandering monsters. Got it. Right? It's very simulationist in that in that way. There's there's certainly set encounters. There's certainly, you're going to go into specific rooms and see specific things. Definitely that happens. Um, and frankly, that also makes the game a little grindy. There's so many wandering monsters that part of being able to complete the game for me, and probably most people I think will say this, is learning how to avoid some of the wandering monsters. Okay. Interesting. Because you could just get bogged down by that. That the was part of my... It's true. That's true. It's it's uh, you know turn based. You have as much. You have you're, you're running a whole party of up to like mm -hmm. up to possibly eight people is what I'm reading. I, I only have a party of five at the moment, um, but it's turn based. So you do one at a time. Pick the action of every single character on your party, and you have the opportunity at least to sit sit down and reflect on it as much as you want. I wouldn't want to play. You know, it is on a battle map miniature type situation. So I wouldn't want to actually play D&D &D at the table like that. Um, but, uh, you know, if it's a solo game, no one's preventing you from playing faster or slower. So there's no, uh, it's not multiplayer in any way. So there's there's no reason why not to do that, I suppose. Um, so what, so what, one of the things, of course, I'm exploring is 
okay, it's branded advanced D&D, I get it, first edition, but you never know how to what level of fidelity uh, someone making a video game is going to match the actual rules of, of Dungeons and Dragons. And, you know, you and I, Paul, have had this experience of when you sit down to code a tabletop role-playing game, inevitably there's these places that were left maybe intentionally ambiguous for the referee to adjudicate, and now you actually do have to code up a specific formal rule for that. And mm -hmm. I see... Um, um, but like, and, and, and there's actually a quote from the developer of Pool of Radiance, actually, who said the same thing. I see the SSI team developing the game was led by Chuck Krogel. Krogel stated that the main challenge with the development was interpreting the AD&D rules to an exact format. So as I, as I come into it, I'm wondering, are there going to be wandering monsters? Is the experience working the same way? That kind of stuff. So that was kind of a question mark I had in my session last Thursday of like, I'm in the dungeon area. Now we need to get back. Is it clear or are they wandering monsters? And I did not know whether that was a threat or not. And the answer was yes. And I barely made it out with my life as a result. Um, yeah. So the very you know, the first fun, time the, the hardest. <laughs> one of the fun things for me watching you play the game beyond just the, the enjoyment of, of, of seeing the first time you encounter some of this stuff. Because like, like one of the things for me playing the game now, if I play it again, which I have started playing it again just because you piqued my my interest um <laughs> is blasting through the slums pretty fast because i've played the slums a lot i know where everything isn't like i know the slums by heart so it's not as exciting for me right i want to get through it so that i can get onto the other blocks where i start to not really remember the content so well so i can at least be maybe be a little bit surprised by by what happens in the game um but the slums i'm like i just got to tear through this because um, interesting interesting and it's tough it's tough. Um, you know, it's uh, if it, it runs the AD and D rules pretty closely. I one of the things I really enjoyed uh, in watching you, Dan, is that sometimes you wonder about a thing and you quote AD and D rules, which you know way better than I do. And I'm always kind of surprised, <laughs> like, oh yeah, they they totally did implement it. That like Dan's exactly right, and I didn't realize that was standard AD and D rules, like the whole system around unconsciousness and and bandaging. Right, and so then I'm watching it, going like, "Oh, just find the band. It's in. It's under the gun <laughs> menu." Ah, I know. I know. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, Thursday. I actually that was that we were. I was on the cusp of that happening, and I actually did pull out my actual first edition Dungeon Master's Guide and and looked up that part. Yeah, anybody you you go to negative hit points, and anybody's supposed to be able to uh, resuscitate you, stabilize you. And um, and then fortunately, a viewer a couple minutes once I had someone down a, a couple minutes later, a viewer yeah. pointed out where the where the bandage option was in the user interface. Um, so that was that was a particularly particularly funny point. It's interesting that like a large challenge, like I'm exploring dungeons, but like I'm also exploring the user interface, and like a large part of this game is discovering things that actually kind of aren't listed in the manual. Um, and, and, and exploring where in the user interface and like, actually, I didn't even put it on, I didn't even put it on the stream, but um, I had a really hard time finding out how to add a character to my party after I'd started the game. And you have to yep. go to a particular place. Like you have to go to a particular geographic place in the, the town. You have to go mm -hmm. through a user interface. It kind of isn't telling you that before I could yeah. add somebody. 
there's a lot of menus, as we can see in the, the graphic here. This is looking at a character, and there's, you know, uh, menus, basically the words with the white letters, the key you have to press, because, of course, this game is pre-mouse, right? So you're, you're, you're playing with a keyboard only. Um, and, yeah, not, not all of it's intuitive, but they tried really hard, right? They did a lot of stuff where they customized the menu based on context, which is sometimes good, but also sometimes infuriating. Right, like, like I, I watched you struggle with how do I sell an item? Well, it's in the items menu under a character, but only while you're in a shop talking to the shopkeeper. Right, mm -hmm. <laughs> right. so yeah. uh... <laughs> and I had to go to a shop, talk to the shopkeeper, then view the character, right? Then go to their items, and then the sell button shows up finally. So it's like about four or five levels deep before that's a that's an option so that i did i did struggle with that and yet the yep, funny thing is yep, i kind of don't not. mind it you know the funny thing is i kind of don't mind this challenge actually of exploring yeah. a slightly threatening series of passages that i could go down weirdly i'm like that actually sort of i don't know if that i just grew up with the right era but that actually sort of feels right of discovering what the game itself lets me do is actually part of the challenge and i actually don't mind it strangely Trying to look for it looks like none of all of our screenshots are showing portraits. Let's see, there's a here's a picture of the back. Of they the are. Box. You can kind of see some of the interfaces there, but like um, in the in the general exploration mode, right? That had this weird kind of first persony view, right? And you're kind of like paging yes. through first person yep. shots of each square. And granted, you can then jump to a top down map, which is lovely, just gray on gray, and you're an arrow. <laughs> not. not you know, for a game that was highly praised for its graphics, it's a little surprising, I suppose, sometimes to look at the, the fidelity of this stuff. Um, I think, but, it, um, and Paul is right that, that at the time it was, it was in fact highly acclaimed for the great graphics. Part of it, I think, is was really mostly the portraits. Actually, I think is what what got the most acclaim because if if you're familiar with the first edition Monster Manual, like that illustration of a kobold right there is directly inspired yep. by the art out of the first edition Monster Manual. So the monsters are clearly replicants of those those really great pieces of artwork. And plus they're animated. That surprised me on Thursday. It's like, I actually saw, yeah, yeah. it's weird because I saw an illustration like this and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's the picture of the Monster Manual. I get it. And then it started moving and, and somehow that really freaked my brain out. That pictures in the Monster Manual aren't supposed to be animated. And I was like, "What the?" Yeah, oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> and even even in the in the battle view, um, the icons are you know they're highly pixelated, but they're kind of you know a decentish representation of what you saw in the Monster Manual. I think. Well, the and the funny thing is on the on the on the uh, the player character icons there is like a almost egregiously large number of options for customizing the icons and in fact that i actually had i mean i did some of that in the first session but i think it took me an hour to go to go through the options for all different icons and so when i when i made up a new character i did that offline because you can really get lost in the ollie on the the options for skinning and fine-tuning what your characters look like in the game, which was, uh, I didn't, I didn't expect to have that many options, frankly. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a very highly customizable one. In fact, one of the other things I remember you noticing you go through is discovering that in the character generation part, you can actually manually modify 
the raw stats of your character, like the, the, the six core attributes and the hit points, which seems very cheaty, except that the game was originally, the way the game was originally marketed, they said you could take your actual D&D characters and enter them into this game. And it's kind of true. Kind of. Yeah, I found uh, that, I found that in the manual. Characters like, and they only use the, the basic characters, classes good point, and races. Good point. Good point. Yep. Good point. Yeah, I found that in the manual a day or two ago, and I'm like, oh, because you know the because what it actually winds up doing is you can just arbitrarily change your character stats to whatever you want. So, Paul, how did you use that back in the day? Did you replicate well, I mean, your you know, tabletop I, characters? Yeah, you know, when I when, uh, I, I tried, I tried, and then was was you know disappointed that a lot of the options weren't there. So, like any good nine year old, I then just gave all my characters straight eighteens, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you, Paul. Like you do. Good for you. <laughs> if your character is a fighting chance, I say. Yeah, yeah. It's still what hard. I'm doing. Let me tell you, even with straight 18s, it's still a hard game. Which I really That's what appreciate. I read. It's, it's, I, re I read that, and someone was like, yeah, it's equally hard to Temple of Elemental Evil. And I'm, and I'm like, well, that wasn't what I was signing up for. I was signing up for a casual <laughs> little game on um, on Thursday. Am I? So when I initially started, I uh, you're allowed to make six characters, and I guess there's slots for two NPCs to maybe show up. Uh, and I actually only made four characters. And to my to my mind, and it's funny because the uh, as, as an original D&D player, the, the, even though it's AD&D branded, as Paul said, you've got just the four races from original D&D, human, elf, dwarf, halfling, and you just have the four classes from original D&D plus Greyhawk, which is fighter, magic user, cleric, thief. And um, it's weird because to me, it feels like I'm just playing original D&D, &D, which is great. It's basically an OT and <laughs> game. And I thought, I go, well, these are all the options you want. And I made all four races. I had a character that was human, dwarf, elf, halfling. That's clearly everything. I only need four people. Am I, am I just being suicidal at even trying to play the game with four or five characters? Or do I need six ball? There are certain encounters where you will need all six. Um, and in fact, okay. uh, I mean, you probably noticed this, but if you go into the area in town where you can train your characters to gain levels, one of the mm -hmm. other things you can do is hire hirelings there. And there are some encounters that maybe you want the two the two slots filled with hirelings. Okay. Now, All right. now classic, okay. classic problem, though, of hirelings, they consume some of your XP. Mm -hmm. Right? <laughs> I don't know if and you also noticed money, how like XP I is sold out in the game. Yeah, money as well. Yeah, because because when I did go in the training area, they had some folks offering to join, and they were they they weren't first level; they were higher than first level. But then they were saying that they're expecting like three shares of treasure, so they're going to get they're going to get half my treasure the way I'm going. So I, I declined. Um, oh, here's here's a gotcha for you in the interface. By the way, if you do end up carrying uh, taking some NPCs with you, you can use the interface to trade items to them. But you can't take them away. Oh, Once you give someone well, it's theirs. <laughs> oh, fascinating! Oh, I'm glad you told me that. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that would that they would, would you, to you would totally thanks for the plus one sword, buddy. <laughs> yeah, it's mine now. Yeah. I I mean, so that would be surprising. I would totally get tricked by that. But again, that's just classic. That's just classic D and D. Is you give stuff to your henchmen. Yeah. right? And you do, and they are they are kind of selfish. They're not. They're not a a generous party member like everybody else. That's 
That's that's totally what should happen, frankly. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> it is nice that there's elements that I've just internalized. Like, like I don't have to go digging for XP charts. I can just look at the character sheet and I kind of know how much XP the different classes need to level because it's mm -hmm. ingrained in my head. Uh, you could look it up in your player's handbook. Did you notice that... Um, only characters who actually survived the fight get XP. I had not yet. Actually, I had not yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I, yeah, you know so what, now that you mentioned, I noticed the fight where most down. everybody was down. Yeah, most everybody was down, yeah. and then it said every character gets this amount, and it was much higher than the prior fights. I see. Right. Yep. 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 Because it only goes to surviving characters. Interesting. So, you know, Interesting. you can game it a little bit, right? You can after you after you beat that fight, that very tough fight with your hirelings, you can continue the battle and kill your hirelings. Yeah, if you want. Oh, that's I would feel doing. bad about that. <laughs> I'm a big, you know me, Paul. I'm a big softy. I would feel, I would feel really bad about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. You know, it it is. I will say, I the other thing I'll say about this game is that it holds up. Frankly, even though the graphics are not awesome anymore, and mm -hmm. the interface is difficult, <laughs> uh, I'm enjoying the crap out of playing it. That's great. That's great. I'm glad that that I feel that like that's very promising for my for my uh, my first time playthrough. Actually, um, yeah. Yeah. interesting. Interesting. I mean, one thing that even I, uh, as I, as I, cause, cause this is now the, er, the, actually the earliest video game that I've played on the, on the stream. Um, and as you, the, the further you drill down in time, the more truly mercilessly brutal, uh, D and D was. And even I am, um, you know, taken aback a little bit to refresh my memory about how just totally merciless it was. And I've been playing, you know, Dungeon Hack, which is a solo mega dungeon. And I get through it and I put the, the settings on a very easy level. But even there, um, you know, Paralysis and Poison were um, nerfed, frankly, from actual D&D rules. As para you know, in Dungeon Hack, Paralysis, you can't attack, but you can still run away. So you can run away until the Paralysis wears off. And Poison starts... You know, you're not instantly dead. You just a couple hit points go away every minute or so, and you can go find a solution to that. And uh, I started playing. So now I'm back in in Pool of Radiance, and I start playing. I accidentally tag, as as you know, I actually tagged one of my own characters with a sleep spell, and I was like, "Is that even a thing? Does it does the game even possibly hit your?" with your characters with friendly fire? I'm not sure. So that yep, that happens. And there's no saving throw. My character goes down. And then the very next thing that happens is the monster next to him gets a free automatic, automatic kill. <laughs> so, so one round, and that's it the was, rule. It, 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 it wasn't free. For what it's worth, it wasn't free. It just happened to be that monster's turn next. Go back true, and watch the true. <laughs> it, well, it's true. But you, I mean, the, the first edition rule is if someone's uh, unconscious and helpless, it, 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 you automatically hit them and you automatically kill them. And that's exactly what happened. So yep. just yep. one yep. one slight misstep by frankly one space, and my character is automatically gone. Um, yep. And uh, and it's interesting, you know, early D and D, what you know, it was a war game, right? And um, yep. it's in. I even you remember know, my. Uh, go ahead. 
I was going to say, one of my favorite moments, talking about how merciless this game is, one of my favorite moments watching you play the game is the first time you get TPK'd, because it gives you a little message that says, the monsters rejoice having slain the party, and then the game quits. And it's just like, you're out! <laughs> yeah. We're done yeah, the application. Yeah, it, yeah, it kicks you out of the application, you're back in the DOS command line. I was like, wow! <laughs> Holy s- Wow! Yeah, it's great. It's kind of like the equivalent of like the DM. You, there's a TPK, and the DM just like packs up his books. Like, no, we're done. We're done. You know, now I finally understand why programs are called executables. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, of course, yeah. the fact that you've got a whole party, right, gives you a little bit of a buffer zone. So, the you know, losing one character, <laughs> now I have been TPK twice already, but losing one character doesn't immediately end the game because at least in first edition, you have the opportunity to, as we said, bandage, haul the, yep. haul the, the body out, get them, you know, get them rested up, which takes weeks, which takes weeks of time to heal up from a zero hit point situation in first edition. Um, you know, and, to, and there, obviously there's a difference between having, and, and you know, and then again, that was a, that was a, a thing that we were all wrestling with with early D and D rules about like what what's what's the experience of losing one character versus the experience if you have a couple characters that you could be running at the same time? Um, yeah. And so at least I can I can still keep playing most of the time as long as I can haul my dead bodies out, my unconscious bodies out. Yeah, that's. I mean, I, d- I don't know if you'll run into this one naturally, so I'm gonna, I, I think I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you about this one, Dan, because uh, it's hilarious. If you, uh, I was playing the other night, and um, you know, a bunch of my guys went down, and I was, I knew I was losing the battle, right? I was like, this is this is over. This is gonna end in TPK. I had one character left, and so I started running for the edge of the board, which I think you've already discovered. That's how you flee the battle, right? Just to exit off the edge of the board. A viewer, a viewer informed me about that. Yeah. 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 So what, what do you think happens in this case where I had one thief left, everyone else was down and my thief makes it to the edge of the board. What would you expect the game Uh, to do? That I have a, I would have a huge question mark. So I would, I would imagine the two options are you just lose the people you left behind or the people are still with you. I could, I could imagine game doing either one. They're gone. They're gone. It says you flee. (laughs) And your party now just has that one character in it, and the other ones are just gone. <laughs> wow. Yep. Right. I mean, you know, realistic. Yeah. 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 And the, I mean, the, the interesting thing, right, is that like you can go buy a raised dead spell in the temples. So like, like even if your character is killed, there is an out okay. if you can make it out with their bodies. But yeah, that's really actually hard to do sometimes, right? You have to you have to lose a little bit, but not too much. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Huh. Okay. Yeah. And I, I was close to it. I was close to another TPK um, on Thursday night. And as um, uh, I think Nathan Foley on Twitter was pointing out, like, like a major tactical question is how much do you push your resources into the dungeon area? Because you have to keep a little bit uh, held, bo- held back so that you can get out through the wandering monsters that you're going to run into. And me not even knowing whether that was an issue or not, I basically pushed myself to the limit, uh, started coming back, discovered that wandering monsters were a part of the mechanic, and out of five people, I wound up with three down, and I was left with like a half-damaged thief 
and my my magic yeah. user character and just barely managed to pull the other three bodies out of the situation before a TPK <laughs> happened. Actually. So, Jeez. Um, Jeez. yeah, that's fun. And it's interesting, right? So that's I mean, you know, wandering monsters have sort of gotten a bad name or sort of been just bleached out of you know standard Dungeons and Dragons now in 2020. Um, but and I think I think the knock is usually like, what's the plot? What's the story? What's the meaning of this? And at least at the at the, at the time, it was a it was a serious strategic concern about yep. in this unknown area, do you have the resources? How 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 much do you risk pushing forward in order to get your ass out? Because the getting out is not for free. Yeah, there there are some. Um, part part of Pool of Radiance, I will say, is finding those safe havens where you can stop and rest. Um, okay. That is not common. But I do think Wandering Monsters, though, sorry, to go back to Wandering Monsters, I think one of the interesting things is they become tedious when you're in, I think, a computer game setting and you have the ability to save and restore the game. Right? Once Got you it. can kind of like always save and go back a step, then I feel like at that point, like you no longer care about like, you know, things that would just kill you on a die roll, right? Which is essentially what a wiring monster is. Like, am I lucky or not? And then, you know, I think there's nothing more annoying than like you're trying to complete some major arc of the story and you just keep getting unlucky and you go back and you restore the game from the save point. You try again, get unlucky again. Like, damn it, just, I just, if I could just get through without rolling a wandering monster, I'll, I'll make it. And that's tedious yeah. and boring. That's okay. That does not make for okay. a game. That's my. It's funny. Anyway. I um, uh, yeah. So yeah. what would you do? I mean, I at this point, curious. I mean, I guess I haven't had that experience yet. Uh, maybe I'm a masochist. Um, uh, like if you were if you were designing or redesigning uh, Pool of Radiance as a as a game designer yourself now, what would you, what direction would you go? Would you remove the wandering monsters? Would you make limited save points like some games do? What would your solution to that be? That yeah, that is a really interesting question. I would probably go with limited save points. Frankly, like it makes sense yeah. to me that maybe you can save that saving should be as difficult as resting, right? If I'm in an area where I can't rest, then I shouldn't be able to save either. Yeah, I can see that's what my game's about once once, right? Because you don't want them just, otherwise they're just going to save every time. Oh, I did, I got got this thing, save. Oh, I I accomplished this goal, save, right? And then you just get into that, that loop, which is dull. But I like the Wandering Monsters. I like, but one of the things I, you know, frankly, watching, uh, sitting here and playing Pool of Radiance, of course, I'm immediately struck as a game designer of like, this is, um, so clearly, they had a good engine for implementing AD&D rules because they went on to yeah. many games in this series. Um, and my thought was like, I wonder how modular it is. Could you, like, ha- has it been hacked enough? Because the game certainly has been hacked a lot, right? There's there's some that companion app now that, like, scrapes yep. data out of memory and <laughs> allows you to do stuff that the game wouldn't normally <laughs> let you do, right? Um and um, where was I going with that? Um, there was, was a, like at the like, end of the Goldbox series. Create, yeah. Yeah. So could, could you create new content 
using like is there some way to to separate the engine from the content and create new content that would be interesting to me what i would love to see honestly is outdoor spoliation implemented in this oh yeah i want to see something that is completely procedural <clears throat> yeah that was interesting there were of course at the end of the series right i mean it was, it, you, you evolve the gold box engine about 10 years forward and i think one of the very last things they released was uh, on uh, Forgotten Realms Unlimited Adventures. Okay, I guess that was only five years later. So in 93, they released Forgotten Realms Unlimited Adventures. And I think that was an engine for like player made content, I think, is that you could make your own um, dungeons and stuff based on that. Okay. Uh, here's, here's, here's an interesting tidbit for you. Here's an interesting tidbit for you about this line of games. Um, there was a game released uh, on the AOL network called Neverwinter Nights. This is not the Neverwinter yeah. Nights that most people think of built by Bioware. This is an earlier version. It came out in 1991. It's The interface is just like this. looks just like Pool of Radiance, but you're only controlling one character, and it's a multiplayer game. Right? So that's cool. That's interesting, right? Um, hop forward... And what, maybe in 2002, I think, Bioware comes out with a game called Neverwinter Nights, confusing that they didn't brand it as like, you know, Neverwinter Nights remastered or like they didn't put any language on it that made it other and make it anything other than right. confusing. Right. But it's a whole new whole new game uh, implemented with much fancier graphics. And one of the things one of the selling points of the newer Neverwinter Nights. Sorry, there's a police car going right by my window. Okay, that's fine. Uh, um, <laughs> one of the things that they they implemented in that was this idea of DM mode, right? You one player could could become the DM and could just drop stuff into the game and use their scripting language to create content. And so there was this right. whole suite of tools for creating your own content for Neverwinter Nights in the the Bioware game released in in two thousand two. And what do you think? Like one of the most maybe not most popular, but certainly the the, the fan-made content that I remember most that was built in this system was a recreation of the original Pool of Radiance. Really? Okay. Really? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Square Crazy. for square, they recreated the entirety of the content of Pool of Radiance in Neverwinter Wow. Nights. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect it to happen. Yeah. Slight, a slightly different only in that Neverwinter Nights from Bioware in 2002 was implemented in third edition D&D rules. So you're you're playing the content of Pool of Radiance, but with third edition rules instead of first edition rules. I remember hearing about that engine, and I remember hearing about how that worked. And actually, I was fairly attracted to it. I did not actually pick it up, but I at the time I remember being having having a, a, a pretty good appetite. Actually, that sounds very interesting, and I was very close to picking that up and starting to to make content for it. Actually. Um, I will say, like on like you know, people recreating Pool of Radiance. I mean, it was very popular, and I'm like I'm seeing for um, uh, you know, it was a hit at the time. It got like ninety percent. Pool of Radiance got like ninety percent ratings in the um, game review magazines. It still gets tend to uh, tended to get listed as like a top five or top ten all time D and D video game when people people make historical lists like that. Sold. What do you what you want to you want to guess? Like guess how much Pool of Radiance sold for for copies sold for a <coughs> number of copies sold. Uh jeez, I don't know. One million. 
Okay, no? so it, it's, right, you know, you're in the right order, Magnum. So, so pool ratings itself sold a bit over a quarter million, over a quarter million. Okay, and then the uh, you know b by far SSI's biggest seller, I think, of all time. Um, the entire Gold Block series altogether sold, even that didn't hit hit a million. Sold eight hundred thousand altogether. So, pool of radiance alone is. Um, what is it like about a third, about a third of the entire gold box series for sales, which is kind of interesting. So it's here, even the hint book, even the supplemental hit book, hint book outsold any earlier SSI game. Wow. Right. Wow. Right. Jeez. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, so we have a lot about, of like, we, talk, we talked a little bit about how many different platforms pool of radiance was adapted to right you've got you know yeah. your your commodore version your nes version your genesis version uh also point out that there was a, a D, &D module written so you could play it yes there mm -hmm. was uh, a novelization so you could read the novel about mm -hmm. it um this thing had legs man <laughs> this content it had legs <laughs> yeah yeah you know, there's a couple of really good questions in the chat here from from viewers that I that I, I'm very interested in. Like, I'm not even sure how I would answer it. So, um, so Bill Rubine uh, was asking uh, related question. We're talking about the the difficulty level and the wandering monsters and the saving um, theory and stuff like that. So, Bill's asking a related question: DMing a tabletop game. What do you do when your players play badly? Just let them die slowly. Uh, that's not fun. Um, or, uh, and then he continues, grind out boring, wandering monster encounters uh, because they're not being careful. Hmm. 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 What do you do? What do you do, Dan? Okay, Have so I do problem? tend to be simulation. I, I do tend to be simulationist, and I actually do. <clears throat> I mean, you know, players can, you know, players can have a TPK and they can all die. Um, so <clears throat> that's okay. That's a, that's a really interesting question, Bill. That's a hard, it's, that's a it's hard a tough, question. Yeah. It's, it's a hard question yeah. right? because you also kind of never know when the players are going to turn it around, right? Because the players can do that yeah. sometimes, right? You may yeah. look like it's inevitable that they're going to lose and then they'll do something brilliant and you'll go, and that's the most exciting moment, right? We were down. We, we thought everyone was going to die. This player did this brilliant thing, turned it all around, saved the day. You don't want to close the door to that. Um, but, you know, I certainly like if it's if it's looking in ruin, right? If all but one of the characters are dead, I might I might fast forward a little. I might be willing to say like, okay, we'll just we're just gonna take it as written that such and such happens, right? Your your character somehow manages to slip away, or we'll just assume you die on the way home and let's all make new characters. Whatever the mood of the table yeah. and the, 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 the yeah. contract of the social contract of the table is uh, sort of, uh, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I, I, the, I think the part of, yeah, the part of Bill's question that I, that is making it particularly difficult for me is the die slowly uh, phrase. Like if, yeah. if Bill hadn't put die slowly in there, I feel like I would be answering this a lot more easily. Um, I do think that like being just a little bit OCD and being like the text is the law, um in the past i think i have actually veered toward making that mistake possibly about letting things in fact grind out too long and i'm thinking like the time when i somewhat embarrassedly had you paul uh 
mapping all the minutiae of the maze section of rap and affic, right? Um, yeah. Which, uh, and, I, and I'm really embarrassed about that in retrospect. Um, so we, we did that for really, really too long, map, Paul mapping out the little mazy section while the rest of the party was like, yeah, this is, we'll really look forward to when Paul tells us that we're on the other end of this. And then in a later session, finally hand waving it and saying, okay, you're gonna spend a while at this and there's probably a wandering monster in the middle. So I think I've tried to grow and get better at, at starting to abstract that action out when it's clear what's happening in those kinds of cases. Um, I, I, I mean, and I'll say like, I've had sufficiently smart and good players that that just hasn't, that actually just hasn't been an issue that they were going to slowly uh, die to repeated wandering monsters as they either do something to fix that or they pull out or something. So um, I, I, I feel like I've seen, maybe I'm making this up, but I feel like I've seen games where the players are basically out of resources and they're acknowledging like, wow, one wandering monster and we're just, we're just going down, but maybe we'll get lucky mm -hmm. and make it out of here. Uh, and I might just expose the rules to them at that point and say, okay, look, I'm looking at the map. It looks like yeah. you're going to get four wandering monster rolls before you get out of here. Let's just roll them in front of the screen and see what comes up. And let's agree that if a wandering monster hits, then you're killed and you don't make it out. But if they all come up, you know, misses, then great. You made it out and you survived. Right, and, to, and Joshua is... is celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. And Joshua was saying the exact same thing in the chat while you were saying that. Joshua was saying, when I was young, I would have them, uh, I would let them try to figure it out on their own. Now I'd warn them specifically every turn I'm checking for wandering monsters. And I do the same thing, actually, is I, I, try, I do try to make the mechanics very transparent uh, in my, you know, old school games, whether in a dungeon or, or, or outdoors, I very much explicate the exact rule that's happening. And like for me, I actually have a watch and in a dungeon and every 15 minutes on the watch, you're gonna get a wandering monster roll. And I even announce like we're five minutes away from the next wandering monster roll so that they can um, they can interface with those rules and don't, don't get surprised by them. It's interesting, like, I don't know if there's anybody that ever would have actually deduced those kinds of rules, but I've, I don't think I've ever seen that happen at a table, so. I, I like your I like your thesis, Paul, and I like Joshua's. So let's 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 get let's get back to Pool of Radiance, shall we? Excellent. With its wandering monsters. Uh, I'm curious, Dan, <laughs> if they're with its wandering monsters. Like again, I, I, I think that is part of its charm. I think there's also this interesting thing in the game, right, where if you um, you may or may not surprise the wandering monsters and then you can approach them and you can talk to them and then it gives you a bunch of options about what kind of demeanor do you give, right? Are you haughty or sly or meek or nice, right? And so a little, there's a little uh, bit of role play in that game of like, what you know, let's see if I can get something out of these monsters or let's see if I can talk them, you know, talk my way past them by choosing the right demeanor and, you know, kind of role playing Interesting. It. Like, that must be under the parlay that? menu that I actually... No, I actually That's haven't. I guess parlay. that must be under the parlay menu. Okay, I haven't actually clicked on that yeah. yet. Okay. Yeah, if you parlay, there's a bunch of options of what kind of demeanor you want to uh, parlay with. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. yeah, and they, they, they might leave you alone or they might still attack. Yeah, and you may not have also noticed that sometimes the monsters appear fairly far away and there's this option to advance on them. Have you noticed mm -hmm. that? That actually dictates how what far apart the figures are uh, at the start okay. of the battle. 
Okay. Right, so if you advance okay. right. and then get into combat, you're, you're right in there. You're face-to-face. -face. Whereas if you just jump into combat right away, they might be a couple screens away. Interesting. Interesting. I mean, one thing I noticed last time that was that was nice is you can, within a round, you can swap weapons out. So you can I've got a missile weapon and switch to a sword within the round. And it's and for what it's worth, that's actually something I don't allow in when I'm actually running a game is it takes a round to swap weapons uh, in which you can't attack. And I feel like that's actually sort of what happens, at least in the first edition example of play. Um, mm. So, uh, but but that would but that's a good point, Paul, because then that would uh, per, that would support me using missile weapons to begin with, and then switching to melee when I need to. I actually have a question for you about how this maps to the actual AD&D rules, because uh, here's here's an action that I didn't realize exists or don't remember existing anywhere apart from this game, which is one of the things you can do with your turn is guard. And you can only do it if you have a melee weapon. Yeah. And what that does is it puts you in a state such that if a monster comes in contact with you, you immediately get a swing on them. Interesting. Is that a thing in AD&D? Uh, no, I'm, I was wondering what the guard was doing myself, because uh, I did yeah. not know what that was. It's like, um, it's like a held action. Is there, there's no held actions or anything like that in AD&D? Yeah, not in the book. There isn't yeah. in the book, to my knowledge. I feel like maybe it's, you know, what we now call an attack of opportunity, possibly. Yeah. Of Right, if you get in, well, if you get in that. that's the point. If you're in melee and you leave, yeah. you, can, you can get right. attacked. Okay, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so I so granted that I think that guard is uh, seems to be a unique addition. I think. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. So I, I yeah, I find I use that a lot in the game of like strategic guarding when when to guard. Right. Um, you know, and then um, um, what was the other the other thing in the game uh, that's similar? I thought there was another thing. Anyway, one thing guess, you told me about in yeah, the past. Yeah. Well, one thing you told me about the past, obviously, because we, we, we talked about it more than once last year, actually, is what this, you know, in this game labeled it the sweep attack rule. The fact that if you're a fourth level fighter and you're fighting first level monsters, you get four attacks per round against them. Um, and my thesis now is that is the single biggest rule bifurcation between original D&D &D and advanced versus the basic line that didn't have that rule. Um, is a is a major difference, and you you told me in the past that being mostly a basic D and D player, you were really surprised by that rule when it popped up in Pool of Radiance. Yeah, I think most most of the things I know uh, they call it sweep in Pool of Radiance. Most things I know about sweeping mm -hmm. comes from playing that game, not from actual like tabletop, but from playing Pool of Radiance because it drastically changes your tactics. When you have mm -hmm. a bunch of first yeah. levels, you're very concerned about forming a line, right? Because you don't want the monsters to break through and get at your soft magic user in the back or whatnot. Whereas, if you're fighting a bunch of goblins, and uh, I, I, gosh, I don't want to spoil too much for you, Dan, but um, let's just say there are more numerous, there are fights where there are more numerous enemies. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And so when you have like a third or fourth level fighter, you want to push them in there. You want to get them surrounded. Like, yes, please surround my fourth level fighter with goblins, because they're probably not going to hit, and then I get to sweep a whole bunch of them, and it's it's amazing. It's, it's one of the most deadly tactics in the game. Yeah, yeah, it makes a big difference, and I still am not like a, my my heart is still not a hundred percent 
uh, like, like I actually do run my games with that rule because I do feel like it's an important part of classic D&D. But my, my, my math uh, brain is not super happy with the uh, quantum shift between, uh, you know, I'm fighting a first level monster versus I'm fighting a second level monster and how completely radically different the mechanics are. As, and someone pointed out on, uh, on Twitter for me uh, this morning, actually, uh, and, and I would have made this mistake, honestly, they pointed out that whereas in uh, original D&D, the rule was just any one hit die monster was susceptible to that. And then in first edition, the clause was just t minimally changed to say monsters under one hit die are susceptible to that. So that actually, so the, the, the main thing that that changes is in original D&D, the canonical example was I'm fighting orcs and you get this advantage. And then in first edition, you, you don't get the advantage against orcs because they're a full hit die. And I, I absolutely would have run. I would have made that mistake because you do, you you specifically don't get it against orcs. It's only goblins and kobolds. Wow, and that's a that's huge difference. If I'm yeah. eighth level, yeah. that's a huge difference between one attack or eight attacks based on that one that oh, teeny yeah. tiny little clause difference. Yep. Yep. Hmm. Fantastic. So I'm glad I was reminded about um, that this morning. So, so we only have a few minutes left, and I'm kind of curious because the, you opened the the, the um, you opened the discussion with this, Dan. Are there is there anything you want to know about the game that's driving you nuts right now that we can uh, that we can help you out with? I I don't mind the I don't mind the mystery actually. So uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, information about the interface is actually useful. So if you see me, if you're if you're watching a Thursday show. And you see me go, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I accomplish this? Feel free to uh, tell me uh, what to do. That. And, and Paul, you are actually helping me out with what happens in the shops with, uh, they're, they're gonna automatically change the money. Uh, I could, you can pool your money and then you can automatically share it back among the, the, the party members, which was something I was missing out. So you'll probably see me do that this Thursday. Yeah. Yeah, encumbrance tracking is a thing in this in this game for sure. And like not carrying it around is. hundreds of silver pieces is actually really important. <laughs> like I will, and you know I what? I find that satisfying. Just like buy something, you know, some minor, you know, a couple of darts just to <laughs> just to get the shopkeeper to kick in and trade up my money. Um, and then in, inversely, some some of the NPCs will will quote prices in platinum, and I don't think it actually has to be platinum. I think there's okay. other places besides okay. the inn, but I think there are places where they say it costs this much platinum. But you can just I don't remember what is it? It's like twenty to one? Is that what it is in AD and D? Twenty to uh, one for five. Gold? It's five. F five. Five to one. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. 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 Right. Um... So, so yeah, I, it's, it, it is actually kind of funny to work through this this uh, really super old school interface with no mouse and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I, you know, I, I actually do find it compelling. I am, I am actually really curious about what shows up next and how I'm going to get through it. Granted, the how how completely mercilessly as brutal it was uh, to barely pull my ass out. And of course, I will say, right, th thanks enormously uh, to a couple people who. <laughs> Who thought that I'd intentionally started with no cleric, and there and a couple of people was like, obviously Dan made a party of four with no cleric because he's intentionally doing that. And the crazy thing is, my mind, my brain just doesn't actually see the word cleric anymore. 
So I, I did not, I did not intentionally do that. And I really needed a number of people say, you know, dude, you're going to need some healing spells to get through this, get a cleric. Uh, and so that's, so I introduced a cleric in session too. And I, if, if there's some other tactical, uh, uh, some other tactical giant mistake I'm making. Please, somebody jump in and tell me to fix that. <laughs> so now I, yeah, now I have a cleric in the party. <laughs> yeah. I do wonder what the math is behind the wandering monsters and if they're scaling it at all to your party size. I'm kind of curious if, like, the, the, you know, the numbers of enemies in the wandering monster roles get bigger based on your party size. Um, which might be an argument for like, actually, there is a reason to only use four versus six. I don't know. It's an interesting question. And that's an ambiguous place in original rules, right? Actually. Uh, and the funny thing is, technically, original D&D says to do that. Actually says that you should be scaling the monsters to your party size. And you know what? There's even a tiny little bit of a, of a, of a rational reason for that is you have a bigger party. They're making more noise and they're attracting more monsters. And there's even a little bit of a rational, uh, of a rationale for that actually, but I don't know what it is in this code base. Hmm. All right, Dan, roll roll out here. Uh, one other thing, since you are streaming, playing Pool of Radiance on Twitch, I will point out like my my experience with Pool of Radiance on Twitch is one of the interesting things is that's where the speedrunners go. So some folks okay. like to speedrun this. So I'm looking at speedrun.com. Can you guess what is the record for fastest run through of this game? I'm pretty confident. I mean, based on my uh, deep experience um, and my my deep knowledge of the Dungeons and Dragons rules, I I'm, I'm confident in saying no one could possibly do this in less than six hours. Okay. The the speedrun, uh, according to speedrun.com, speedrun uh, top speedrunner is Rich B. Who did it in 10 minutes and 46 seconds. What the fuck? What? Are you fucking kidding me? Ten, ten minutes? Ten minutes. Are you kidding? Are you shitting me? What the fuck? What the fuck? I, I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. I don't, I don't know how you do it. What? <laughs> What a crazy world we yeah. live in. That's insane. Yeah. Wow. Huh. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it involves a lot of skipping content, right? Of just like, you just need to hit okay. these things and you get to the game over okay. screen, right? Like, just mm, okay. as fast as you can. Go, go, go. Get lucky. Get the right what? things. <laughs> yeah. That's not real. Okay, well, okay, well. <laughs> Good job, uh, uh, whoever that was. <laughs> <laughs> crazy okay well i'll look forward to um all right well okay well i mean i've already played it for four hours so probably about uh 11 10 p.m eastern time on thursday i should be done so look forward to that everybody <laughs> all right uh, viewers um i'm sure that there are links in the uh video description you want to find out where you can play pools. So it's definitely still available. Uh, Dan, Dan's playing it on Steam. I think there's some other places you can find it, I'm sure. 
um, or uh, if you have any interesting insights to the Gold Box series uh, stuff, or like stuff you really want to see Dan tackle in uh, Games from the Elder Times, uh, leave us a comment in the video in the uh, YouTube uh, chat here. We would love to hear from you. Definitely, definitely. Uh, and remember that, uh, of course, you can like, follow, and subscribe to us, The Wandering DMs, and we're on YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub and TikTok. And we do have the handle Wandering DMs on all those sites, so look for us there, and you'll get updates on upcoming shows. If you prefer to listen to our shows in audio-only podcast format, you can find those podcasts at our website at wanderingdms.com. You can also find them through various podcast carriers, such as Google Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, um, if you're listening to this right now on one of those carriers, please take a moment to rate and review us there. That helps other users of that site find us, and we really appreciate it. We really do. Uh, and, of course, huge thanks to our patrons who support the Wandering DMs show. If you'd like to join them, uh, please visit patreon.com slash wanderingdms, and you'll see our different tiers, discounts on merch, access to our private Discord server, other benefits. And of course, our favorite part of the week is continuing the conversation uh, Sunday afternoon, right after this show in uh, live video chat on Discord. So uh, if you haven't done that yet, please uh, uh, join our Discord uh, via Patreon. And we'll look forward to continuing the conversation in about uh, 10 minutes over on Discord. You know, Paul, I got to say one thing. I really like our color coordination today. <laughs> I like you. I like. We didn't plan that, but I yeah. actually really like you and me in uh, primary co different primary color shirts. That's for some yeah. reason that yeah. works really well. Little... I don't know if that's a throwback to the big bad or something like that, but that's I, that makes me very happy for some irrational reason. <laughs> it's a little. It's a little. It's a little like we're uh, you know invoking our Team Fortress Two uh, 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 real life play live play. That's it. I think you're right. <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> anyway, so uh, yeah, please uh, uh, visit uh, visit the, the channel uh, late Thursday night, which is 11 p.m. Eastern time, to watch me um, uh, swear and struggle and beat my keyboard as I try to get through Pool of Radiance for the first time. And and feel, please pitch in any help that you can possibly give me in the comments because I I think I. <laughs> I think I need it. What a great game uh, uh, classic D&D &D is, really. What a, what a great, merciless, yeah. you really have to be at the top of your game. So I'm looking forward to more of that on Thursday. And, of course, uh, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So please join us again here next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see.